Before the podcast, here's a word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your balls with anything other than Manscaped. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming, there is no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the two million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SEAN20, S-H-A-U-N, 2-0. Before Manscaped, I would be shaving my eggs and because I've got scrotal angionas, numerous moles, inevitably I'd clip the wrong part and blood would be everywhere. Manscaped has restored my confidence in this activity. Have you ever tried to trim your balls and it turned into a Freddy Krueger film? Well, luckily, Manscaped is here to save the day. And make sure you're smelling fresh with their new refined body wash. Fellas, the ladies love their signature scent and it will scur away those vampires. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code SEAN20. S-H-A-U-N-20. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code SEAN20. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. How's Sean? Jamie, thanks for coming to London, man. No worries, mate. Good to see you. Good to see you as always. Yeah, so for people watching this video then, this is Jamie Boyle, prolific true crime author, YouTube channel, War Cry Press, and we are doing the Craze Tour today because Jamie is an expert on many subjects in true crime. I was in America for a very long time. I'm deficient in certain stories, and he's going to bring me up to speed today on the Craze Tour. Yeah, we're going to go in to the uh, Blam Beggar. Uh, very famous because 50-odd years ago, some bloke walked in this pub and shot a gangland rival. Uh, so back in March 1966, um, rival gangster George Cornell parked his car just over there. He'd been seeing one of his friends in the London hospital, which is just over the road. Ronnie Cray was in the widow's pub around the corner. He got a call saying Cornell was in the blind beggar. Um, Ronnie was known to being quite heavily intoxicated that evening. So took it as a bit of an insult, a bit of a liberty that um, basically Cornell was in because them two had history. They, um, they had a fight in a pub um, on Lemon Road in Allgate a pub called The Brown Bear, and um, it's alleged, I think it, it's, you know, a lot of people have backed the story up, that George Cornell knocked Ronnie Cray out on, on, on the front of that pub. So he never really, it was an ultimate humiliation for him and uh, an embarrassment. So when Ronnie, when Ronnie um, heard the news that Cornell was drinking in the Blam Beggar, he got Scotch Jack Dixon to drive, drive him round with a fellow member of the firm, Ian Barry, they both had guns. Pulled up on here. Ronnie Cray 
walked into the pub with Ian Barry. George, George Cornell was sat at the end of the bar, which I'm going to take you in a minute, Sean. And uh, Cornell muttered the last words. Well, look who's here. And with that, Ronnie, Ronnie Cray pulled the gun out, shot him, fired. Um, Cornell went. Ian Barry fired a shot in the ceiling. I never really understood why Ian Barry got a 20-year sentence, life. Never actually killed anyone. But, um, and, that, and then obviously it's forever in East End folklore. The barmaid ran up the stairs. That night when the shooting occurred, it was at 8.25. That pub had around 12 witnesses. Not one wanted to pick Ronnie Cray out. Um, he, you know, he was put on the witness parade. Nobody would pick him out. And um, so that, hap that shooting was in March 1966. Ronnie Cray wouldn't be arrested until May the 8th. 1968 so that's over two years he was at large so if you could imagine the invincibility he would have had thinking i've done a crime in front of the public and no one's yet dead you know finger me out so it's in east end folklore listen that story's gonna gonna outlive us all but um it's forever embedded in the mythical east end the east end the, the world of the craze jack the ripper and this is the blind beggar on Whitechapel Road. Should we go inside? Then? Yeah, we'll go inside. All right, so here we are in the blind beggar, one of the homicides the craze got sent down for. Yeah, um, the blind beggar um, gets its name from, and the building's been going since the 1800s. Uh, really, really famous, well-known pub in the area. Uh, it's actually called after a very famous beggar who would just hang around this oh, area. Was it? Um, and he was bland, closing the name. But uh, the murder, what you're referring to in March 66, George Cornell was sat here with, um, with a friend of his. And um, basically, I think he was talking to the, the barm, barman. And um, Ronnie Cray comes in um, with Ian Barry. Um, stands just over there. Cornell's exactly here, smirking. Obviously says that his last words, well, look who's here. Ronnie shoots him, um, which is... It's amazing how he got him smack in the middle, considering because wow. Ronnie was uh, really known for having bad eyesight. And uh, how so far away was he? It, uh, oh, it was it was the barmaid. Uh, in, in the book, it said that you know it was literally six, seven foot feet. Uh, George Cornell's come off a stool. There's a very famous murder um, picture of the scene, which is basically. You can see a circle, which is where George Connell's head was, and blood was just literally where our feet are, Sean. Um, and, you know, the barmaid has then screamed, ran down the cellar, obviously thinking she was, uh, was next. Ian Barry has then put one into the, not the ceiling, the wall. And if you turn your cameras to, if you want to look over there, Sean, the bullet, the bullet hole oh, wow. is actually in the, in the frame. That was the exact wallpaper, so all they've done is put a frame over it. Yeah. So that what what we're in now, f 55 years ago, that was when it when, uh, so when it went. Then? It was March '66. March '66. Yeah. And as I said at, when I was outside, Ronnie didn't get arrested for two years, two months. So you could imagine that feeling of power that he'd have got. That this pub had at least 12 people drinking in it. And um, not one would pick Ronnie Cray out, purely down to fear. 
um, you know, or what would have happened to them or their families if they'd have pointed the finger and said that was Ronnie Cray who shot the man. Um, Leonard Nipper-Reed did very well in, um, you know, when he, when he got the Crays at six o'clock, uh, May the 8th, 1968, he got the full lot in one swoop. I think one or two, uh, you know, but he got them the week after. He got them all and basically said that's when he had the power to go to the witnesses and say, listen, these people have never seen the light of day again. You can come, come to the side of law and order and I promise you protection. Um, the barmaid was given a whole new identity. Um, the twin's cousin, uh, Dickie Hart, he, um, he obviously pointed the finger and he went off to live somewhere, you know, abroad. So there was, you know, there were, they, they basically thought they were untouchable and to be quite honest, Sean, for, for, for the years that they were at large, um, they were, but, you know, they, they were locked up at 34 years old, they were convicted at 35, and um, that was them till very old men, and really all three of them died in prison. Did the cops get the murder weapon? Um, regarding that, uh, no, it's never been found, although the murder of Jack the Hat McVitie, although it was, um, it was done with a knife in, um, in the October of 67, um, the, the, Reggie tried to shoot him at first and the gun jammed. That was thrown in a canal in Bow um, and that was, that was fished out and it, I think it's in the, the, um, the Black Museum or something now. But the gun where actually George Cornell was murdered with, that's never been found. And what had George Cornell done to piss him off? You said he had a fight and, um, and knocked one of them out. Allegedly, um, I've read, you know, Lenny, Lenny Hamilton has said it in his books in great detail. Um, Bobby Teal, the Teal brothers, they've went into detail about it. It's in a book, um, Running with the Craze, Billy Webb, fantastic book. So, I, you know, I think there's, there's a, a lot of people behind that story to say that did happen. Um, you know, George, allegedly, uh, you know, in, in folklore, it was because he called him a, a fat puff. Um, but they didn't, they didn't like each other. Um, George Cornell was a kind of on the cobbles fist fighter, a man with a really thick set neck. The night um, George Cornell was murdered, George Cornell's widow, Olive, went on the Cray home, which is about a quarter of a mile uh, on Valance, 178 Valence Road, and she smashed a brick through the, uh, the Cray's window. Um, she was obviously upset, uh, so nothing really happened, and who can blame her? But, um, but that, yeah, that was that. Was it easy to get guns back then? I imagine post-World War II, there was perhaps a lot of weapons floating around. It's a lot, it was a lot easier then because these days society's changed. You'd get five years without even a bullet. Um, you know, rumour has it in, in the gangland East End folklore, if you like, a lot of the crazed weapons were in the Widow's Pub, which I'm going to take you next. Um, but of course it was, you know, the World War, had, had Second World War had finished, uh, was it in the 40s and, you know, this was the 60s, so, you know, it, it was a lot easier to get a gun in them days and... And they were what they were. They were, they were gangsters. They were people of the underworld, so it was much easier for them to, you know, and obviously they had connections with people like Freddie Foreman who, um, you know, they could have basically got anything they wanted. So did all of the 12 people in the pub end up going state's evidence? Um, well, the only one, um, Queen's evidence, obviously there was the barmaid, and then there was many members of the firm, obviously certain members... Um, you know, I mean, I, I did a, a tour with, um, I was with Chris Lambiano a couple of years back and he took me to 97 Everton Road, which was um, where the murder of Jack the Hat took place. And he said, even the, even the Charlie Cray Senior said to the twins, Go, you're going down, 
you know, leave them, you know. But their, their attitude was, no, they're coming down with us. Um, the barmaid gave evidence. Um, the twins' own cousin gave evidence. And there was a couple. Obviously, Albert Donoghue made, made a statement. Scotch Jack Dixon. Um, you know, it, Albert Donoghue got two years um, for harbouring Frank Mitchell. But, you know, in the end, a lot of people sang like canaries. And, uh, you know, <laughs> to be fair to the craze, um, the, the, you know, Ronnie... He lived in La La Land. He, um, he, he was sending people holiday brochures, thinking when this is over, we'll go there. And you know, and I, I, you know, when I've listened to some of the journalists, they said as much as the 39-day trial went on, which is one of the most expensive trials in cr British criminal history ever, as long as that went on, they just sat there and just thought these are doomed. There's no way. And of course, when Ronnie Cray went in the dock, he made a total fool of himself. Called Richard Jones, the uh, Welsh QC a fat slob, and um, yeah, Judge uh, Melford Stevenson um, lashed out and, you know, very violently and given him 30 years. Uh, you know, did they deserve it? Could they maybe have got, you know, today they probably would have got 50, 20 years tops. Um, Reggie Cray died 66 year old, not long before his 67th, and he'd done something like 33 years in total. So he'd literally spent half his life. Um, his brother, Charlie, many would say was a political prisoner, got 12 years in 1997 as, as an old man. So that was really a death sentence because he never come out. So if there's ever um, an example of crime doesn't pay, then I think it, it's the Cray, the Cray story. It's a very cockney tragedy. You said the Cray's own cousin testified against him. Was there any consequences for that? He was never seen again. Um, you know, I've read the reports and Ronnie would kind of scowl at him. And, um, you know, I, I think, obviously, Dickie, Dickie Hart was um, rich, he'd basically kind of laughing at him. And he would, ne he would have never said the things to him, to Ronnie White. But if he, was, he was safe. You know, this, the ship was total sinking. And uh, the only thing they were going was, was the Brixton prisons and uh, the Dunham prisons, which, which obviously both went to in different ways. Wow. All right, so where are we going next, Jamie? Um, well, so we're going to go right up Whitechapel Road, so I'm going to take you along a few Cray horns. I'm going to show you the Grave Maurice, which um, a lot of people think this was the Cray local, but it wasn't. Um, I mean, I've counted something like 64 books on the Cray twins. I've read 56 of them. Um, the Crays, in actual fact, when they ever referred to this place, it was always in derogatory comments, a bit dingy and a bit of a shit. Oh, um, Ronnie's, Ronnie's local was the Grave Maurice, which is obviously long gone now. Um, famous pub, um, which I'm going to show you now, so we'll, we'll, um, we'll get along and I'll show you. Let's do it. Let's go. So where are we now, Jamie? We are at 106 Marlin Road, which um, just to my right of me was um, where the Crays had the Kentucky Club. Uh, 1962, there was a very famous film in the East End, it was called Sparrows Can't Sing. The film premiere was in the Odeon, which was just over the road, and the after party was held in the Cray Twins pub, which was the Kentucky. All the stars were there, Barbara Windsor was there, and many, many pictures, um, in, in, you know, which were took in the Kentucky. It's now a Tesco. <laughs> yeah. The stars, there was always a sense of violence around them. So this is what made them attractive. Um, when you look at the pictures, all the stars, they knew um, they were second to none. And um, Reggie, you know, he was very good at... The women found him attractive. 
Um, always suited and booted really, really well. It was just something I think they were born to do, um, and they did it very well. Did they have the business sense to run the clubs? Reggie did. Um, Ronnie sense seemed to give everything away. Um, you know, a, a lot of the times they would argue and fight among each other. Basically, Ronnie Cray had no value of money whatsoever. If he had anything to you, he said, I like your watch, Ron. He'd take it off and give it to you. Um, where Reggie was the more astute, um, you know, more business sufficient, which you had to be. And, um, you know, with Ronnie, it wasn't, he didn't really want to be. A, Reggie was the businessman wanting to take over the world. Ronnie wanted to be the gangster, to be pictured, you know, to be, and that, that was the difference between the two. And what if there were trouble in their clubs, or did that just never happen? Um, I mean, you know, they give, they give an interview in the BBC in, uh, in 1965, and I think uh, Reggie, Reggie was quoted in saying, you know, there's, all, there's, there's always drunks in clubs, and sometimes they've flung out, that's why there's doormen. Um, but very occasionally, I read, read, read a lot of books and, um, you know, listen, if, if there was any acts of violence in there, then nine times out of ten there were the ones behind it. So, I've heard, like, stories that crime actually fell because of the, the way they, like, ran things. People say, like, once they got arrested, all this other stuff happened, things kicked um, off. But they, they held some kind of order. Yeah, do, that, you know, do, you know, do you know something? Back, back in them days, Bethnal Green probably had something, um, 12,000 people maybe living here. These days, I wouldn't like to, you know, it would probably be 100,000 and half of them don't even speak English. Um, I've been, I spent the week up and down in, uh, in London and li you've literally, Sean, got every culture in the world, every religion, Pakistani, um, Indian, you name it, you'll find this in uh, the East End today. And, um, you know, 50-odd years ago, would any, if it was like today, I don't think they'd have took any notice of the two tasty-looking blokes who own a snooker hall. But, you know, the name commanded fear. And, um, and this is why people are really interested. I started studying it when I was in um, primary school. That's a noise that you hear in the East End all week. Uh, constant police sirens and everything. And, um, but, but listen, it's part, of, it's part of people want to understand these two twins, they were born in 1933. What made them go on to be, you know, uh, to go on to be the, you know, because their speciality, and I suppose maybe what eventually took them down is there were two. You know, what, 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 what was their power? Inevitable was, it was the downfall because one of them was a paranoid schizophrenic who had a passion for hurting people. Um, but yeah, on, on the question, I don't think, you know, listen, in the 60s, everyone talks about, oh, you could leave your door open and all that. And, you know, I have, Pelicci's calf, we're going to go in. That's been, oh, that's been going since 1900, run by the same family. Um, the, deco, the decor's in there, it's been all in there since 1946. You know, it's off, I mean, if you ever go in Bethnal Green Workermen's Club, there's always an old guy in there, 85-year-old, talking about, oh, they were this, they were lovely. But at the same time, Sean, I've met people who couldn't stand them who basically think they epitomised everything evil. So, but that's what, that's what uh, makes them so interesting. So is there anything else on this road? Oh, absolutely, Lord. So uh, what we'll do is we'll head up left and uh, I'll take you on a few stops. Right, let's go.
visited the hospital where Cornell died within four hours of being shot? Yeah, this was, well, that is the Royal Lond London Hospital, very, very famous one. Um, it was where John Merrick, the elephant man, lived. Um, and this place, it was the Grave Maurice. Um, it was built in 1874. Oh, yeah, it's got it up there. Yeah. Um, Ronnie Cray's local. A lot of people think it was a blind beggar. It wasn't. It was, um, this was Ronnie Cray's local, and he would sit at the very back, obviously being paranoid, and he'd watch everyone coming in. Uh, Detective Leonard Nipper-Reed, who died last year, COVID got him, 95 years age. Um, he basically said, the first time I ever seen Ronnie Cray was obviously, he was surveillance looking at him. And he, and he was in there with his flat cap on, you know, trying to hide. And he said, somebody, a car pulled up here, and it was a guy come out, looked both ways, opened the door, and Ronnie Craig got out in like a, like a 1930 Chicago gangster, hair slicked back, glasses. And he said then it was, it was clear as day he was trying to beat Al Capone. <laughs> um, the Grave Maurice, uh, there's a lot of stories on um, the very famous scene where there was a gangster called, um, uh, his uh, it, it, name escapes me at the minute, but Reggie Cray had a famous fight just on the front, Buller, um, his name was, and um, he bit Reggie Cray, slashed him across the face. Um, you could see that, you could see the scar. And he died a couple of years back, five or six years ago, but you could, you could see the scar. Um, and this, this was the great Maurice. Morrissey, uh, the singer, has come. He's had pictures for the front of his uh, albums. You know, Morrissey's written songs on the Crays, last of the famous international playboys. Morrissey done Jack the Ripper. Um, so it's yeah, it's you know it's it, it is a very very famous part of the East End. Sadly, I mean I come here 15 years ago and it was still a pub. Um, there was a sign just at the top of there, which was probably there only till a couple of years back because it marked a tradition of um, the Grave Maurice. But sadly now it's gone and um, it's now a Paddy Power and, and something else. But uh, this is where the Grave Maurice was, Whitechapel High Street. Who owned the pub? Um, you know, many, there was many different owners over the years. Uh, no, no one really notable, um, certainly from, from the books. But um, this, you know, people, the craze are forever linked to the blind beggar, um, when in actual fact it was the grave Maurice. This is where, you know, where the firm would meet. Um, you know, and this was where, basically, if anyone wanted to catch Ronnie Cray, it would be in there. And you also said there was a bit of Elephant Man history and Jack the Ripper history in this area. Yeah, um, just... Uh, over there, which is, it's now a, sa a sari shop. Um, in, back in the late 1800s, um, it was a freak show. It was... Um, a literal you know, freak show. Yeah, you know, I'd have been in there if I'd have been about, <laughs> but John Merrick used to walk up and down this road most days. He lived at the Royal London Hospital. He was found in there. Um, there was people in there with two heads, joined to the hip, all kinds of different people. Siamese people, twins. Yeah, people would come from, from, from all over Britain to, to, to have a look at this, like, waxwork horror, if you like. Um, and, and, you know, in fact, one of the doctors over the Royal London Hospital saved John Merrick and actually invited him into the... And he lived out, he died in there in his early 30s. Had a quite a, a decent quality of life the last couple of years, and that was down to the... To the top doctor at the Royal London Hospital, but uh, it all happened over there. And there's a building just slightly to our left, which is called the Working Lads Institute. And that was where, I mean, now it's um, an Asian shop at the bottom, but you can still see the history at the, um, the top of the building. And that was where several of the Jack the Ripper 
inquests for the victims were. So, as I said, this, this place, really, really busy. There's some shops on here that never, ever shut. Um, as you can see now, every culture in the world is on it. It's a place that never sleeps. But if you could imagine going back 133 years when the times of Jack the Ripper, you know, there'd be lads, little kids on the corner shouting, Murder in Whitechapel! Ripper strikes again! And, you know, horses up and down, horse shit everywhere. It's, you know, but it's, it's, it's the East End. It's, it's the East End history, and it's something that greatly fascinates me, Sean. Wow. So what's our next stop? We're going to go up to, right up there, Whitechapel Road, and we'll turn into Valence Road. There's uh, obviously it was a family cray home, uh, and there's a there's a pub on there which um, has recently went for a lot of money. Number 71 Valence Road. It was a cray home. I'll take you to the Widows, uh, where Ronnie Cray was drinking. Um, the Richardsons allegedly were going to do a hit on there. This is the place where allegedly all the, the crays had the tools, guns there, and uh, we'll take you around Bethnal Green Road and have a look about. All right, let's go. So. The stories of the Craze and Jack the Ripper merge this locality. Yeah, do you know, do you know some of Sean? I've studied them quite closely for the last three years, uh, sorry, 30 years since I was 10, 11. But I was walking up here, I spent the week in London, and it was only just dawned on me how close a story is. Um, behind us is, <clears throat> is Darewood Street, but back in 1888, it was called Bucks Row. Now, this is a street, um, you can see a rather large building which um, that was built in 1886 uh, it's one of the only buildings on the, the Jack the Ripper scene where it actually just hasn't changed and um, basically so I, so I was coming up Balance Road the other day and it, the penny dropped on me that Darewood Street or Bucks Road as it was back in 1888 um, the reason that they changed the, the name was four years after the Ripper murders the whole street of Bucks Row campaigned we said we don't want this notoriety a link of where we live so then it was renamed Darewood Street now on the right is Valence Road um, so you've got the Jack the Ripper first murder 1888 and then you've got Valence Road which the Craze family home uh, they were born in 1933 but they moved to Valence Road in 1939 so the irony of it is um, is basically it's ironic how in the East End, the biggest ever, certainly in British criminal history, uh, Jack the Ripper case is linked to um, the Crays, which are the middle, uh, the Wells, sorry, not the Wells, certainly the Britain's biggest gangsters. So you've got two massive East End stories that are literally touching. Um, and, you know, in the, in the film, the Crays' granddad, Cannonball Lee, talks about his mum seeing Jack the Ripper. And so you could imagine the stories of, of the craze being brought up and anyone for that matter in the East End. I was with a ripperologist the other day and he said in the East End it's common, you know, it's common that any parents growing up would say, if you don't behave, I'll get Jack the Ripper to get you. And it's kind of folklore stories, isn't it? It's like the Loch Ness Monster, um, you know. But, but these, these, these stories, Sean, were very, very real. So craze grew up over here. Valence Road on here. And Jack, Jack the Ripper's, Ripper's first, first murder was Bucks Row, which and who, is now who was she? She was an old prostitute. She was the first prostitute, actually. She'd only actually... I mean, it's sad because her legacy forever is she's a sex worker. Um, I'm sure she would have been long gone years ago, but she'd actually only been working as, um, as a sex worker for two months. 
And it wasn't like today when people who sell them sell sex because on crystal meth or cocaine, heroin. Back in them days, they did it because, you know, they didn't even have anywhere to live. Survival, all, their all their belongings were, was on them. You know, these girls would walk about with, with mirrors, half a mirror. And um, it's sad, but, you know, she, um, she was flung out of a lodging house because she didn't have the four pence. She, um, she said to a friend who said, no, come on, it's late. She said, see what a jolly new bonnet I've got on. Left Brick Lane, frying pan pub, come along to Bucks Row, and uh, eventually met Jack the Ripper. And that was the end of her. Oh, dear. All right, so we're going to the Craze House next. Uh, there's a pub, 71 Balance Road, which is um, a very, well, it was an old Cray haunt that was called... Um, the Earl's Grey, and then it was changed to the Jews, Jews Drop In. Yeah. Um, well, I'll take you up Balance Road, and then we'll go on Bethnal Green Road, and I'll show you a few more things. Great. All right, so where are we now, Jamie? We're at 71 Valance Road. Um, obviously, everyone is uh, aware of Valance Road with the Cray story. Uh, the Cray family home was just further up. I'd say this is about in the middle, but behind me was a pub, and that was known as um, the Earl's Grey back in the... For many, many years, the craze would, would, would be in there quite often. Years later, it was changed to the Jew drop-in. Um, I've just been talking a minute ago, and I was telling you, um, the house sold. It, well, sorry, it's not a pub any longer. It's been made into like a plush um, three-bedroom home. Inside is very uh, flamboyant and loud. And, you know, it's, I think it's been in the papers a couple of years back. But this actually sold for 1.2 million. Um, yeah. But uh, this, this was a big, big career hangout. Um, obviously, it was there when they were children as well. Grew up around this area. Um, and, and they were there themselves, you know, for many, many years, as it was a pub. One point what million? 1.2 million. If you're watching this in America, can you see how insane house prices are here? Mm. It's you, a free would get, you would get a man, like... Ten of them for one point yeah. something million. It's a three, three bedroomed flat. Three um, bedrooms. Three yeah. bedrooms. One point two million is sold like for. Almost two million dollars. Yeah. You can get the whole street in America for that. Yeah. <laughs> so we finally made it to the home of the craze. Is that right? Uh, one seven eight Valence Road. Um, Although the twins were born in Steen Street, which was Hoxton, uh, it's about a 25-minute walk from here. Um, they were born there in 1933, but they come and they moved here in 1939. Uh, this, in the 40s and the 50s, because of the family, uh, so many family members, this was known as Cray Corner. Um, so the house, obviously, um, the Cray family home <clears throat> was from here in 1939. The craze, the family moved out, it was demolished. Uh, sorry, the, 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 they moved in 67, about a year before the craze were arrested. And uh, this part of the London has seen a lot of history. If you have a look, um, there's a bridge on the corner. A lot of the old photos of the craze. I mean, there's some, there's some footage going around of, of Reggie Cray um, polishing his car. That was exactly there. There's some photos in 1965 when the Crays were acquitted for the Hugh McCown case. Um, that was took over there. I think one of the, the most famous ones was a picture of Charlie in the middle and Ronnie and Reggie, and they stood there, they stood there like that. And uh, that was just took exactly over there. Them flats, just opposite it, were, were there. 
in the uh, when the craze were about. So all that's been here basically uh, was here was I mean that 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 row of houses obviously has been knocked down, rebuilt. But where the family crew home was was just the uh, the plaque there. Obviously that's 178. 178 was the family home, which is just where that that plaque was. And uh, yeah, you know there's there's, this, there's an old saying which I often say: um, walls restore memories. And there's so many memories of, of the craze in, in here. Where the where that exact plaque was was where the house was. Um, there's lots and lots of stories. Um, so so many career books, but not only career books, other people's books, and, and the many stories where oh, they were allegedly going to get whacked. Um, that was a mafia term, but a lot of people talked about shooting the craze from that bridge. That would have been that. Um, yeah, I mean, I did the, the Roy Shaw book, Me Machine, with um, Roy's only biological son, and there's a story in there um, when Roy kind of had the hump with them um, because you know they weren't always friends. And, and Roy was, you know, was thinking about even shooting them from just over here. So there, there's so so many different stories. It's forever, um, you know, embedded. And, and as the myth for the snowball goes in life, so many untruths. People come and attach themselves to them. Um, but this this was the home, and everything was so close. The bath house where they would bath was just around the corner. The Repton Boxing Club, although that building's only been there since 1967. Uh, the craze would have went in there, you know, they were, they were at large for the last 67, certainly 68 for five months. Um, Cheshire Street runs along. Uh, that was the scene um, of allegedly um, the Ginger Marks murder where Freddie Foreman uh, allegedly, you know, the body went missing. That was on Cheshire Street, um, lock, stock and two smoking barrels, the film. That was, that was filmed on Cheshire Street. It's just a massive part of East End history. And um, I've been here all week and, and most days, Sean, there's always someone up and down and they're always glancing over and having a look at like 178 Valence Road. So it was known as Fort Valence. That was the home of the craze. How old were they when they were in this house? What, what, what um, age did it start? Yeah, they moved here in 1939. Um, so the craze would have been six, seven. Charlie, their older brother was seven years, seven years the senior. And uh, a lot, I mean, I spoke to so many people with Charlie over the years and he, you know, he was a boxer himself. He was professional, he wasn't bad. Uh, boxed for the Navy, but he wasn't like his brothers were. And, uh, you know, I often describe it in life as, can you imagine being seven-year-old playing with your toy cars and all of a sudden these two demon brothers come along and they had a knock-on effect with everything in life. He, um, you know, he got dragged into the Jack the Hat McVitie murder. He got a 10-year sentence. In actual fact, Charlie wasn't even present when that murder was, but he was kind of dragged into, you know, mopping up their shit, if you like. And, um, you know, later on, Charlie Cray um, got a 12-year prison sentence, sentence in 1997, which effectively was a death sentence for him. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, listen, it'll certainly outlive me in my life, and uh, I don't think, I think the Cray's... They've only got bigger since the Cray film, 1990, Peter Medics, the Tom Hardy one, 2015. And, uh, and I just think, you know, it's not, not, not about glamorising them, but it's just people, it's the psychological, the, you know, you try to understand them, what made them the way they were. But I don't think the Cray um, 
the train is going to stop, I think it's only going to get bigger and everyone all over the world is really interested in the Chris Dory. So is it just the three sons then and the parents in here? Um, there was, there was a, a little girl, um, Violet Cray had, but she was um, stillborn. So there was, um, there was Charlie and, uh, and there was Ronnie and Reggie um, and that was that. So the, the three brothers and, and they went on to you know, cement a legacy, if you like. What was the relationship with the parents like? Um, the mother, they absolutely idolised. Um, she's often described as a typical East End mother, if you like, a bit like, you know, if she ever, if anyone went to that house, they were offered a cup of tea and sandwiches. And uh, the dad, Charlie Senior, um, they, they never had the best relationship. He was known to beat the mother up. Obviously, when the twins got older, they put a stop to that. But, the, I mean, when Charlie Cray died in 1982, uh, the twins didn't even go to his funeral. Obviously, when the mother died uh, in 82, um, it was like, you know, it was, it was huge, it was massive. People would come just to catch a glimpse. At, at the time, by then, the Crays had, had been behind bars for 14 years. And we're looking, looking their age now. They were in the 50s, um, or certainly approaching the 50s. And, um, yeah, you know, but of the mother, it was... Um, they were extremely close to the mother. And even when they were at the Old Bailey, you know, there's a story um, that Maureen Flanagan says that, you know, in, um, when, when, the, when they were sitting on the 39-day trial, Violet is actually sat there thinking, why are these people making lies about my boys? Why, why are they lying? And, you know, she couldn't see any badness in, in her lads. How old were they when they moved out of this? And where, uh, where did they go? Yeah, they were, they were, 1967. Uh, so it was a year before they were arrested. Um, and they moved, uh, it was about half a mile away from me. It was a big block of flats, um, which the parents were in. They also had uh, the flats at Sedgwick Court. Um, Ronnie had, Reggie had a flat with Francis. Roger, uh, Ronnie was above, um, and that's where Ronnie would have all his parties and you know, would party seven days a week. Um, but yeah, this was the crate home from 1939 to around 1967. So what location are we going to go to next around? We're going to go straight at the top of Valence Road and um, that's on Bethnal Green Road. And uh, there's many, many, many locations on there, which was 1965, where the church is no longer there anymore. It's some flats. That was where Reggie married Francis Cray. Um, there's Polici's, which is... You know, that's every legend. Tom Hardy was filmed there. Um, there's English and Sons Parlour. They're buried all um, three Cray brothers. Um, and also, I've got, I'm going to take you to the Carpenter's Arms, put on by the Crays in 1967, and uh, I'll take you to the church as well, St. Matthew's. They're also buried all, um, set, well, they're buried in Chink Chinkford in Essex, which is about five miles away from here, but Around the corner, which I'll take you now, was uh, the church where they buried all three Cray brothers. Right, let's go. So we've been through the Cray's haunts. We've looked at the house they grew up in. And the story ends here. Yeah, story ends here, um, Sean, for all three Cray brothers. Uh, St Matthew's Church in uh, Bethnal Green. And uh, this was the where basically, the, although they were buried in which is Mount, you know, Gems, Tinkford. Um, this is where the funerals were. Obviously, Ronnie in March 1995, 
Charlie's next in April 2000, and uh, Reggie Cray's six months later in the October of that year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Liam Galvin filmed um, that day, and there's a lot of footage on it. And this was absolutely packed. Stars here, um, actor Billy Murray, um, Morrissey even sent a reef. Barbara Windsor sent a reef. There was there was lots of, and it was the you know them free funer funerals, um, particularly Ronnie's. Um, you know, it was like it was like something you'd, you'd see your prime minister being buried. This the streets of the East End come to a standstill. There's rumoured to have been around 80,000 people um, that attended. You know, it was literally some places closed for the day. It was uh, it was absolutely staggering. Inside, they played um, certainly in Ronnie and Reggie's case, it was the song uh, Frank Sinatra, um, very famous song. My which way. Was my way, yeah. And uh, after Ronnie's, they played "I Will Always Love You" by um, Whitney Houston. But uh, but this was it, and it's. To go in, I think it's a, a wonderful church, really scenery. I often come here quite a lot. And um, yeah, Dave Courtney done the security and it was basically um, 100, I think maybe even 200 of flat-nosed geezers, as he put it, from all over Britain. Um, the best of the best. And uh, they wore the red arm armband with RF on and done the security that day. And uh, you know, that's, I think that was probably a lot of Dave Courtney when he done that in '95, that brought it on top for him, as he said in many of his documentaries since. And uh, you know, I think the funeral cost fourteen thousand pounds, as he as he said. I don't think he's seen any of that money, but it certainly put him in the public spotlight. And a lot of things for him ended that time because of the attention the Cray funerals brought. How old were they when they died, and how did they each die? I assume they all died in prison. Um, yeah, Ronnie died first in um, in. Broadmoor Mental Security Hospital, uh, 1995, so he would have been around 61, uh, approaching his 61 and a half, and uh, the last words he ever said was, oh God, mother, help me, heart attack. Um, the next one was Charlie Cray, he died in April uh, 2000. Um, he'd been in prison by that point for three years of a, a 12 year sentence, um, and Obviously, his illness, he declined rapidly. You know, I spoke to people who used to go visit him, and the Charlie Cray, who everyone knew, the suntan, the gold, always had a, a scotch in his hand. In prison, you know, the tan had gone, he didn't dye his hair anymore, and he, he, he was a, pretty much a broken old man. Uh, Reggie died um, in the October of um, 2000, and he was released in the August for uh, compassionate grounds. Basically, he was dying, he was terminally ill. Uh, so he did. So Reggie did have around um, eight, seven, eight weeks of freedom, and he died in a hotel in uh, in Norwich. And uh, all three funerals were were, um, were here. So were the brothers who were incarcerated allowed to attend the funeral of the first one who died? Yeah, uh, Ronnie's Ronnie's um, funeral. Uh, Reggie was allowed out of prison. He was allowed to go to the service. He was allowed to go to the graveside, and then he was whisked back to uh, Maidstone Prison. Charlie, um, when he died, obviously Reg visited him. Same again, wasn't allowed to go back to any, you know, allowed to go to the funeral parlour here and straight back to, uh, to prison. And then himself, he, uh, he died six months later. Well, it looks like it's open. Should we see if we can film well, inside? Well, have a Sean, yeah, because I think you've got to... Anyone who's seen the, the footage of it, you know, and you, you see all the famous people there, it's absolutely ram-packed. You could not move. 
outside here there was i think they put the service on a tannoy so a lot of the east end you know felt like they were there and had the service read out to them but we'll have we'll nip in now cool let's go So, Sean, this is where it all happened. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's lovely. It really, really is. I mean, all churches are nice, but this one has a particularly nice feel to it. Um, but the coffin was here. Um, Reggie was sat literally just there, with um, handcuffed to... Yeah, I mean, one thing what was said was when the parents were buried was the prison services, because um, the twins were only about five foot eight, my height, and um, I think literally they must have found the biggest security men they could have found in 1982. And, and Ronnie Ann Reggie said that was done to humiliate them, to try and, uh, you know, make them look like dwarves. But um, this was, you know, Reggie was sat here, and then you, you've got the who's who of um, mad crime, if you like, mad Frankie Fraser's here, your Ben Mahoney's, your Dave Courtney's, your Alex Steen's. It was just literally littered full of... Um, you know, full of every face that you could think of in the East End. Did they and, make um, the prison guards wait at the back, or...? Uh, well, the handcuffs were never took off them, you know, yeah. and as the funeral was there, and, the, and uh, that song, My Way, was on by Frank Sinatra, it's quite emotional, because you see at the end, Reggie sat here, and then he puts his hand on the coffin. Um, it, you know, Reggie said he was determined he wasn't going to cry that day, and he didn't, in fairness. He did cry when he got back to, to the prison, but, you know, it was literally every inch was filled in this church and also up there um you know it was completely covered by many many uh, channels over the from from all around the world the interest just particularly ronnie's the interest the eyes from the world were on the east end that day but the guards ended up feeling intimidated didn't they with all those people there uh yeah but you know something by then when ronnie had died uh, in 1995 reggie had been in prison there for 27 years. So, you know, listen, the crimes, you can't condone what they've done because they were violent, wicked, evil men. But at that point, 27 years, he ended up doing 23, and you think of the child molesters and all this. You know, I've spoken to people who were in prison with, with Reggie and that. And I think overall, the feeling with the guards was, you know, he should have been out a long time ago. Made an example of. Absolutely, the name, the name is what killed them in the end. Um, particularly in Charlie's, you know, he was, as Reggie said, my brother was a political prisoner, and I think that was the case. Yeah, wow. Right, this is um, William Davis Primary School, but back many years ago, uh, well, it still is actually Wood Close, but this was called Wood, Wood Close School, and this is the school the Cray Twins went to from the age of four to 11. Um, it's so close to St Matthew's Church where I think it's, um, you know, it's ironic how it was so close to Cray Twins started their life at this school and within a stone throw away, St Matthew's Church, um, where, where they were, you know, they were carried out in coffins. Also on the corner, literally a stone throw away, was the Carpenter's Arms and um, that was the pub they bought for the parents in 1967. Um, obviously, it, it, it didn't give them a lot of years to go there, but it was a pub that um, they frequented quite a lot when they, were, they had the leisure. Over the years, there's been a few gangsters filming in there. Obviously, Lenny Hamilton, Albert Donoghue, Bill Frost filmed over there. But um, Wood Close was the school that the, the Cray Twins went to. Did they get in trouble in school? Yeah, they were fighting a hell of a lot. Um, 
yeah, you know, th this is where, I suppose really this is where they started building the crane name. Um, you know, they were both skilled boxers. Um, you know, they, they were literally taught to box. Uh, they had a brother seven years older and he taught them to box in the, the Valence Road, which was basically just a two up, two down yard in the back, no bath house. And um, they, you know, they, they made one of the rooms a boxing gym. The Repton Boxing Club um, is by far the most successful in Great Britain. Um, it was established in 1884. Um, a lot of people think the craze boxed here um, where, where it is just literally over the road. They did box for the club, but this building's only been here since 1967. Um, so, you know, when they boxed for the Repton, it was at another place. And also they boxed at the Robert Browning Club in South London. Um, the Repton is very, very famous. As I said, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels was filmed here. Robbie Williams has filmed in here with Take That. Um, it's just a place that, you know, although the, the I mean, I, I filmed, um, I interviewed the chairman many years back for a book, and he said, although we get much, many, much business from film companies, I mean, Ray Winston sometimes will go all over the world filming, and he'll say, do you know what? When I want to be humble and be brought back down to earth, I go in the Repton because that's where everything started for me. Um, so the Repton, really, really famous club. It's got a big link. Uh, the Crays did come here, but it would only have been from 1967. So we're opposite Polici. Yeah, Polici's calf there. Um, Bethnal, Bethnal Green, High Street. Um, but behind us, Sean, was this church. Now, today, it's um, very plush apartments. But um, back, in, back in 1965, it hosted the wedding of the year. Uh, Red, Francis Cray um, and Reggie Cray, David, David Bailey, the most fashionable um, photographer in London, come and uh, he, he took all the photos that day. There's um, photos of just over there to, to the entrance where Ronnie's there. That's where all them photos, you know, very famous photos. Um, and it was a very Cockney wedding, it was the East End wedding of the year, everybody was there, everybody turned out. Um, you know, the sad thing is that happened in 1965 and um, just over two years later, in, in uh, May 67, Frances took her own life. She was uh, 20, 23 when she died, so she was only 21 um, when she married Reggie. He'd um, been caught in there since she was 16, um, you know, obviously suffered from mental health issues, but uh, but that was uh, where Reggie and Francis Cray, the wedding took place. What was life like for Francis after they got married? Um, well, they, they were together, um, married I suppose, for two years, but they separated. Um, officially, they were together for eight months, and um, obviously it's no, it's no secret over the years that, you know, she was, it wasn't a happy marriage. Um, Oh, this gentleman here, is, uh, can I just get that photo? Come in, just come in. Just very good marriage, isn't it? Can we hold it up to the camera? Yeah. So you're saying about what life was like for her? Yeah, he, um, she basically, you know, she became Reggie Cray's property. And, uh, you know, let's face it, she wasn't going to ever get rid of him. You know, at the end of the day, even if they were separated, but forever she was Reggie Craze. Uh, I don't think there's any uh, secret that it was a very unhappy wedding. Um, he's a, a factor for you was when um, Reggie Cray asked the priest 
to, you know, would he, would he be in charge to officiate the wedding? He refused. Um, so, you know, he basically, that, that told you that he could see what, we, what was going to happen. Um, France, Francis Shea, or Francis Cray, as she was, was later on to be known, was stunning, absolutely beautiful young girl. Um, but the reality was, she was never, no man was ever going to go anywhere near her, purely because she was Reggie Cray's wife. And, um, you know, you could imagine if anybody started dating her. And uh, she just, you know, as, as the wedding went on, um, you know, they had a flat at one point below Ronnie. He had his say in it. At times, he didn't treat her well. Um, and, it, you know, it's very, very sad that the only outcome uh, for her was to take her own life. Are there conspiracy theories about how she died? Yeah, there is. Um, there's one, you know, there was a guy, um, pretty vocal, um, Toby Van Judge, I'm allowed to say, because he, uh, he went public to say that Ronnie um, had, had, a, had a done in. Uh, there's a lot of ludicrous stories, you know. I think one even says that the mother had a done in, um, but you know they're, they're not really. Um, I mean, one another story. Um, Bradley Allardyce uh, was Reggie Cray's cellmate. He come out when Reggie died and said a, a similar tall story, which total utter fabrication. Um, but it does, you know, anything with the Cray name does does bring attention, whether you're selling books or papers or documentaries or whatever. But uh, there's certainly no troops in it, but it was really, really sad to think that a, a young girl, a 23-year-old, took her own life. But, uh, How? How did she take her life? She took it, I mean, she, she tried, um, she did a, a, a few failed attempts, um, you know, so it was noted that a, a medical, uh, a mental health wasn't the greatest. But um, on, that, on that day when she, when she killed herself in 67, she took, um, she took a bottle of... Um, I can't never pronounce the name, Barbatuit or something Barbatuit, like that. Yeah. Um, overdosed on them and she was found the next day by her brother, Frankie Shea. He uh, walked in a room and thought she was sleeping, left her a cup of tea, went back a short while later and uh, she'd obviously gone. She was cold. It's a shame, yeah. Wow. Here we are outside Palichi's. Jamie. Yes, this place uh, opened in 1900. So we're here in Bethnal Green Road, Palichi's. Very, very famous, well famous, run by a lovely warm family, my favourite in the East End. Uh, the place opened in 1900, it's really, really big towards the craze story. Never you you must get people coming here all the time around here. You get stars coming here all the time, don't you? You get lots of different people coming in all the time. We get a lot of people coming in to find out about the craze when they used to come in, especially after the film Legend. I always was told they were really nice men. My, my grandmother couldn't believe it when they were put away, whereas my dad and that would have known them. Like, well, they used to come in every morning to have their breakfast. And um, in them days, I suppose, you didn't have your mobile. So if anyone wanted to meet them, after they'd had their breakfast, they would have come, people would have come in to meet them. And that's how they used to come in the cafe all the time. You know what, what is a really touching story? Is when Ronnie died in, in 1995, Reg, this was packed. Um, Reggie was going past and he looked up at your dad who was statiest stood there. He was there, standing here. And he waved at him and Reggie gave him a smile because he knew he remembered well, him all the time. Actually, dad, actually, I remember dad going up to the. Uh, they stopped because they stopped outside the calf. Yeah. And dad actually went up to the to the van what Reggie yeah, was in yeah. and they sort of yeah. almost had a little cry with each yeah. other because I suppose he'd not. It was probably one of the only places that he remembers yeah. 
from when he went away that was still the same. Yeah. Hadn't been because because inside it's really impressive, and obviously everyone's seen the film Legend with Tom Hardy, but the decor in there it's beautiful, and that was put up in 1946. So it's very much still almost like walking at the East End in the 60s, isn't it? Well, it would be exactly like walking into the East End, uh, and exactly, and it's like it's stuck in time sort of thing, and um. It's always been part of our family home. Like we'd come here before school, after school, so we'd know everyone. You get to meet all the faces. Like I walk down the street, hello Nev, and it's a big part of our life, and it's a big part of a lot of people's lives in the East End. A lot of people would have come in here to meet, take their girlfriend out, meet friends before they went out. Next day after they'd been out, it was a big part of people's lives. To come. Do you know what they ordered here when they came here? Yeah, my mum used to make them bacon and tomatoes. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> my mum's 81 now. Yeah. She come up, egg, bacon, and tomatoes, was it? Egg, so, bacon, and tomatoes. That's my sister, Anna. I don't know if you can get her over there. <laughs> this is my good friend. Yeah. And um, yeah, we've been, uh, yeah, it's, every day they would have the same thing bacon, egg, tomatoes, and a couple of slices of bread. And like I said, there were no mobile phones. They'd come in at six o'clock after they'd been to their club, running the club. They'd come in here straight away after. And people wanted to see them. They'd meet them in here. So that's where they had their little meetings in Did here. Did you guys so, serve alcohol back then? Uh, I'm not sure. They used to sell cigarettes. I don't know if they sold alcohol. I don't think they sold alcohol. But maybe for them too, they probably would have been allowed to have a little <laughs> glass of whiskey or something under the counter. Yeah. Yeah? Sounds so, good. Honestly... Uh, the East End, there's not much left of it now, but if you do look, in, in hard enough, you'll find it and you'll capture it. And this is Polici's on Bethnal Green Road. I'm here every single day having sausage sandwiches when I'm in the East End. Nev, come in and see Nev, lovely, warm, friendly person. As I said, the same family since 1900. It'll always go, won't it? Your kids will run it and it'll yeah, go on and on forever. Let's hope it keeps going forever. Yeah. yeah, me and my sister are doing it at a minute. She's got two young boys, I've got two young girls. So you never know what could happen. It'd be lovely if they did. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if anyone wants any more information on Polici's, Sean will put the link in this video, so if you just click on it and it'll direct you to it. Polici's Calf, Bethnal Green Road, marvellous. Come and check it out. All home-cooked food, yeah, and we make a warm welcome, because that's how we were brought up in the East End. So when you come down, it'd be like you've come into the East End, we know you Come in, we'll look after you. Oh, cheers. Nice one, Sean. Jay, always a pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. I have learned so much today from Jamie at Warcry Publishing. Please support him by going down and clicking on his channel and subscribing. And at the conclusion of this fascinating craze tour of London, we are at the place now where... Did all of the bodies end up in here? Yeah, Sean, this is uh, Bethlehem Green Road, and we're just here at English and Sons, which is the funeral parlour that um, buried all three Cray brothers. Uh, the biggest, the biggest, um, I can't think of any funerals bigger, apart from Prime Ministers. When you look at this, this road, it's always a really, really busy road, and it's, you know, that day, it was, there was people stood on the roofs, just, there was people who took the day off work, to, um, to just get a nose here at Reggie Cray or, you know, even just see the coffin. And uh, it was an end of an era, really. You know, this family that had kind of had this organisation with crime from the, from the 50s even to the 60s. And then even when they were, they were in prison behind the door, there was this rise of, you know, this, this... And then the movie come and 
And they, they made far more money inside prison than they ever did on the out, but this is where it all came to an end, English and Sons on Bethel Green Road. Were they all buried in graveyards or were any of them cremated? No, they were all buried in uh, Chingford Mount Cemetery, which is about five, five miles from here. Um, and buried, obviously, Ronnie went first, so Reggie went on top of him, uh, and Charlie next to them, and then both the parents, and um, Francis, Francis went in as well, and um, Charlie's son, Gary Cray. So it's almost like in the corner of um, Chingford Mount Cemetery, it's, it's kind of the Cray's plot. At the very, very end, right at the end, and uh, here we are now, what, over 20 years since our brothers have gone, and. Um, the story isn't getting any smaller, it's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, there's more interest in them than ever, isn't there? Absolutely. So, huge thank you for today, Jamie. And if you've enjoyed this, please don't forget to subscribe to War Cry Publishing. Thanks so much. Link God. will be in the description box below the video. Cheers, Thank man. You so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, well done. Hope you've enjoyed this crazed tour of London as much as I have today. It's been fascinating, I've learned so much. Jamie is an absolute wealth of knowledge. Huge thanks to him for coming down from the north, six-hour journey. Please subscribe to his channel, Warcry Publishing. Link is in the description box below this video.
Please, folks, thanks very much. Just get back the Thank <laughs> you. 
Apparently he's not expecting Okay, cheers. Are they allocated all the cars yet? No, because we're waiting for the cars, see?
seen a lot of those kind of people, do you? I mean, like Tony Labriano and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you never... Yeah. 
Jack Straw made him a free man. You knew Reggie was dying, and it'd be only a matter of days and weeks at the most. But now he was dead. And it was, crowds were massive. It was wonderful. It's a day I'll never forget, as it was a very sad day. He'd done over 32 years in prison. The old stick em up gangster is a part of history, and we are just going through the period of before we turn them into legends. Unfortunately, the craze have gone. Ronnie, Reggie, Charlie. I suppose in many ways, I am a, a link that links us all together. And I suppose in the public eyes, um, they're making me sort of an icon about it all as well. As long as I go down as the best dentist, I don't mind. his own tomb for the burial of the Lord. In a spirit of repentance, we earnestly ask you to look upon this grave and bless it. 
so that while we commit to, to earth the body of Ron, his soul may be taken into paradise. We ask this through Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we commend to Almighty God our brother Ron, and we commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, departed, through God's mercy rest in peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.